Welcome, fellow football fanatics, back to the Pound the Table podcast. My name is Fred, the NFL Always Offseason GM. And we got a good show for you here today. Uh, we're bringing it back after episode two last week. And we'll throw it into episode three, uh, hit on some of the most recent NFL news and uh, some of the happenings that have been going on around the league in terms of offseason moves and just some other fun stuff. And uh, we'll get into our second edition of the State Your Case segment as well, where we break down the Aaron Rodgers situation according to what the viewers, yes, that's you, have voted on. And then lastly, the last big part of the news that was this past week was the NFL schedule release. We're going to go through weeks 1 through 17 and break down some of our favorite games that are going to be on those weeks. So make sure you stay tuned and let's get into it. So the first bit of NFL news that we'll jump into here is at the top, uh, Eric Fisher, former offensive tackle for the Kansas City Chiefs, signs a $9.4 million deal to join the Indianapolis Colts. So I think it was a, a not so big secret here uh, as the Colts did not add any quality starting tackle in the NFL draft this past week or last couple weeks. And in free agency, they also declined uh, to make a move. And now that the excuse me, the time that is added into the compensatory evaluation or equation that uh, would account against the Colts in terms of compensatory picks for next year is passed. They can now make this move with no effect in that situation. But uh, what's interesting to me here is uh, Eric Fisher actually had torn his Achilles last season. So uh, now he's slated to miss part or maybe most of the season. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. But uh, I did read a report that he's most likely going to start on the physically unable to perform list. So uh, I don't understand making a move for a guy like that unless they just like what he brings to the table in terms of a left tackle to help support Carson Wentz here. But uh, nonetheless, they get a guy to help shore up some of their offensive line. Uh, Sam Tevy's on their roster currently, so he can try to man the position until uh, Fisher becomes healthy enough to make an impact, but they do make a move here uh, outside of the compensatory equation. Uh, 9.4 is reasonable. I don't know if I'd like to pay that much to a guy that necessarily hasn't, isn't going to be coming in and contributing day one to the season. Uh, the next piece of information uh, that we came across the timeline recently has caused quite the stir on actually on social media is Tim Tebow signing with the Jacksonville Jaguars or expected to sign with the Jacksonville Jaguars. I don't think a deal's been quite announced just yet. But uh, th- this is interesting in regard that they're going to move Tebow to tight end, a position that he's never played before. Uh, I know that some teams later in his career, like the Jets and the Patriots, messed around with the idea of moving him to like an H-back role, but he never really stuck anywhere. But Tebow goes back to Jacksonville. Back, You know, he's he obviously went to college in Gainesville at Florida underneath Urban Meyer and joins his former coach at his new team here. And at the ripe old age of 33, is going to give playing tight end a go in the NFL, which is... Very interesting. Many people have drawn the comparison to Colin Kaepernick uh, not getting a second chance in the NFL after the kneeling situation that he had done in San Francisco there as well and having numerous tryouts. And uh, in my opinion, I, I agree. I don't think that if you're going to roster Tebow over a younger tight end that, that that's necessarily a good decision. Um, I also did read a report that you know if Tebow can't 
or if these young guys can't beat out Tebow, like what what's what's the big deal here? Like they they should be able to beat out a thirty three year old guy that's never played tight end before, right? And uh, I think this is a situation too where Tebow is going to bring some serious intangibles that you know that stuff you can't teach guys, stuff that they bring to you know the team as a whole as a leader as a competitor that you know you want to instill into a new team like that and. and Obviously, Tebow's Urban's guy, so you know he played for him in Florida. He knows what he's about. He he's gonna bring that intangible aspect in terms of on the field play and taking reps from guys. I don't see it. I wouldn't do it even for just a minimal deal. Uh, you know, as long as the Tebow is gonna be on the roster, there's gonna be the the Tebow effect. You know, it's gonna be on Tebow watch. You know, it's gonna be all over news outlets. It's gonna be all over ESPN. So I don't know if I'd want necessarily want that. <laughs> it's state of affairs you know buzzing around my team especially being a new head coach but i mean for ticket sales jersey sales it's gonna be awesome you know the fans are gonna love it some fans are gonna hate it they're gonna talk about your team but nonetheless t-bowl looks like he's headed to jacksonville we'll see what it holds but us as a team building standpoint we're not a fan here so uh the next big piece of information I wanted to touch on uh, was the the DK Metcalf 100-meter uh, dash that to try to qualify for the Olympic trials that was last weekend here. Uh, DK, kind of out of the blue here, just decided that he was going to run track for USA and try to qualify for the U.S. Olympic trials. So he runs a 10-3-7, 10 somewhere in that range, one of those two numbers. And essentially, he, he takes last in his heat. But 10-3-6, 10-3-7 is it's fairly fast number, you know, like especially for an NFL player. You know, I, you know, I ran track back in the day, and I was at a lowly, you know, small school, not very competitive, and that is significantly faster than I can run. I know that for a fact. And 10-3-6 is cooking it, especially he's, what, 230 pounds? And I actually, uh, shortly after they announced the times, I went on social media and said, could you imagine standing on a field where DK catches about a 5 to 10-yard slant and he is just house-calling this thing. He's running about 50 yards and for some reason a receiver runs you off and you're standing there 40 yards out from DK and he is charging 10 3 6 at 230 pounds and just completely just destroys you like that. That is... Men that large are not supposed to move that fast, so it's it's impressive in that fact. But it's also like like you said, it's it's not quite Olympic speed. Like I seen someone say, "Is he gonna run under ten flat there?" Like, come on now, come on, let's be serious. Like ten three six fast under ten flat, not not the same kind of speed as ten three six. So I thought that that was almost kind of silly that someone was even mentioning that. And, uh, I heard someone also, I can't remember who it was. God, I feel terrible. I'm not giving credit here. But someone said that the, the betting line was like 10 flat. Oh, my God. Everybody should have been hammering over on that. But nonetheless, DK runs 10-3-6. Impressive for a man his size, especially when you looked at who he's racing against. Not quite Olympic speed, but, you know, I'm here for it. We get more guys uh, running NFL that run want to try out for the Olympics, want to run these races. I'm here for it. You know, Tyreek Hill, uh, Anthony Schwartz, you know, that's content that we all need right now. That's that's gold. Compare NFL speed to U.S. Olympic speed. So good work, DK. 
Uh, we're we're not going to touch on Aaron Rodgers news since it's going to be a Aaron Rodgers centric podcast here today. But uh, th- those are the three main stories I wanted to hit on before we got into the next segment. So let's throw it over that way. Rolling right into our state your case segment here, uh, we'll start off by just kind of going through some of the rumors. Uh, I actually wasn't going to do an Aaron Rodgers segment this week, but with all the rumors and randomness floating around out there about what he's thinking, what he's doing, and all the speculation, I figured it was it was a good time to bring this around and see what everybody's thoughts were on the situation. So basically some of the rumors are is he's willing to retire and he's been telling free agents that he's not going to be playing in 2021 in Green Bay and that he wants Gunta Kunz to be fired and basically that the relationship is fractured beyond repair and he wants out and the interesting thing about all of this is we haven't heard Rodgers come out and dispel any of these, but we also haven't heard him come out and confirm any of these. So, like I said, it, it was a great time to kind of break down what's going on with the state of the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers. So, basically, the State Your Case segment here this week is going to be, you're the GM in Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers is upset. What would you do? And the options were trade Rodgers or try to fix the situation or force him to retire. And 65.3% of the vote came in to try and fix the relationship with Aaron Rodgers. So that's the that's the side that we're going to defend here. And basically, we're going to start out with basically diving into what Aaron Rodgers' contract looks like. So basically, what we're doing is for 2021, he has a cap hit of about $37.2 million where if he's moved would accelerate to $38.4 million, which is a pretty big number when we think about it in terms of largest dead cap hits uh Carson Wentz his cap hit for the Philadelphia Eagles when he was moved is 33.8 which is the most ever that we've ever seen just ahead of Jared Goff so the number of 38.4 for Aaron Rodgers well it's understandable it's Aaron Rodgers compared to Carson Wentz here is still a pretty significant number uh, in terms of how much money that they would be taking on for Rodgers to not play for the Green Bay Packers next year. So the next would be, well, well can't you move them as of June 1st? So if we take a look at that, basically what you're doing is you're splitting the cap between 2020, or excuse me, 2021 and 2022. So <clears throat> you would be pushing out $17.2 million into 2022 and I don't I in, in my opinion to be paying that much money two years out for a guy that's no longer on the team it's almost kind of like a stretch it, it feels like it's like a stretch provision that you see in like NBA where oh hey we're gonna s- split the cap hit over a few years here just to get you off the team so we we can add more players now especially since they're in a winning window if if Rodgers leaves like you're not in a winning window anymore. Who cares about the cap space? I would, in my opinion, I would say if you're going to move them, move them now. But I don't think like nobody's paying thirty eight point two million for or thirty eight point four million for a guy to not be on their roster. That's that's absolutely insane. You look at the reason the Eagles did it was, hey, we're we're rebuilding. We're we're going to just get, get off of this. You know, we're going to get first round picks back. So, in terms of his, excuse me, his his contract situation here, it gets it's it gets pretty pretty murky once you get into those waters uh, so if if he retires he essentially would be forced to pay pay back 11.5 million dollars 
for both 21, 2021 and 2022, uh, $23 million in total. And then basically the team could come after him for an additional $6.8 million that they just paid out to him for a roster bonus in March, which, <laughs> I mean, that would really make a guy mad. I That relationship's over at that point if, if you're going to be telling the dude to be paying you back $23 million on top of the six point eight that you just gave him two months ago for a roster bonus. So I don't think that that's a likely situation either. I basically think what happens is the Rodgers or the Packers should call his bluff. Obviously, first they should they should come to him and say, "Hey, what is it going to take to get this right?" And there's a lot of guys on record right now saying that all they got to do is just get in the same room as the guy. Like, what do we got to do to make this work? Uh, the writing was on the wall when they drafted Jordan Love, but I mean, having this guy be playing at MVP status, it's make it work. Let's see what we can do. So, basically, his best shot. And what Aaron Rodgers wants to do is compete. He's an MVP. They made the NFC Championship game. They're Super Bowl contenders. This is his best shot, is staying here in Green Bay. You can tell me all you want about trading him to Denver. You can tell me all you want about trading him to the Raiders. Oh, he'll make them instant contenders. Raiders don't have a Devontae Adams. Denver doesn't have a Devontae Adams. Denver doesn't have an offensive line like Green Bay. Raiders just gutted their offensive line. They have nothing close to what they have in Green Bay here. And, oh, Raiders might have a couple good running backs there in the system. But, I, I mean, I'd, I'd stack Jones and Dylan up against Kenyon Drake and Josh Jacobs. Denver's got Melvin Gordon and a rookie Javante Williams. Promising, but I'll take, you know, a Pro Bowl running back last year and a guy that's 240 pounds that when he's given the ball, he's got about five yards of pop. So, I, I mean, I'll, I'll compete against them guys. His best shot is right here. He, if he wants to compete for a Super Bowl... Let's put our feelings aside. Let's get in the locker room. Let's fix this. It's right here in Green Bay. So basically, when we take a look at his roster here, like I said, you know, you at running back, we got Jones. He's got 70 yards a game the last three years. I mean, just under a TD a game. I think it came out to like 0.75, so it's like three quarters of a TD, but we'll say just under a TD. And I mean, he's had 1,000 yards receiving the last three years total, plus six TDs. And then when we take a look at Dylan, I mean, he hasn't been given a lot of opportunity. He was kind of buried behind Jamal Williams, not really understand, understanding why that was. But he's when he's given the opportunity, he's really taken over games. He's shown that he's a real grinder. He's a great complimentary back to what Jones brings to the table. So, I mean, that that's a heavy-hitting backfield, in my opinion. And when we roll over to the wide receivers they got here, obviously Devontae Adams, four Pro Bowls, one All-Pro. I mean, that... That answers for itself. I mean, you got guys every day on social media talking about how he might be the best in the league, and I'm I'm not going to argue. Absolute surgeon at the line. It catches a ton. I think the only drop I can remember him having last year, I mean, I'm sure there's more, but the only one that's memorable to me is the one that was in the playoff game. Behind him, you know, it gets a little rockier. You know, we got Marquez Valdez-Scantling, 680 yards. It's over 1,000 yards the last two years with six touchdowns. In my opinion, he's ascending. He he had 400-some yards. He kind of disappeared at the end of 2019. 2020, much better. When you look at his playoff game against Tampa Bay, he went over 100 yards. Two big-time catches and a touchdown. Really showed out. He is an ascending receiver. You know, he's a low draft pick, but he his measurables were off the chart when he came out. He was like a 4-3-8-40 guy. He's 6-4. Can stretch the field. I like what he brings to the table. 
Lazard, once again, another big-bodied type of guy, 451 yards and two TDs. He's just under about 1,000 yards the last two years. Once again, undrafted free agent type of guy, but for the production he's getting, he's bringing a lot to the table. He's a big dude. Once again, he's he's 6'3", 230. Um, I like Lazard. I think he brings more to the table than people realize. I don't think he's a product of Aaron. So then they draft Amari Rogers this year as well, too, who a four-year Clemson player, so high-quality program, uh, pro-ready day one. And it was actually pretty interesting that uh, I seen, I think it was one of the, the Packers guys on Twitter, it might have been like Zach Cruz or somebody like that, uh, mentioned his measurables. And they're almost identical to what Aaron Jones was when he came out of UTEP. Uh, he's basically 5'9", like 215, 220, real thick dude, real rocked up dude. And uh, at his last season in Clemson, it's 77 catches, 1,000 yards. So he's he's capable of high volume underneath type of stuff. You know, a lot of under, over roads, drags, slants, a lot of the, the gritty work inside. You can even put him in a backfield. You can run him as like a Ty Montgomery, Randall Cobb type of dude as well too. Very, very versatile. He's a different kind of receiver than we've seen Packers draft in the past. I mean, that's a third round pick. That's that's an investment. That's I mean, it's a four year player. He's ready to come in and contribute right now. And I mean, we can have this, you know, who came first, the chicken or the egg conversation with the receivers with the Packers. But in my opinion, that's a that's a solid core. I mean, it's not the best in the league. It's not going to turn any heads. But I mean, that's a solid core. And especially when you couple it up with the tight end, excuse me, tight ends, uh, Robert Tanyan, I mean, once again, we can have this conversation about does Rodgers make Tanyan or is Tanyan a good player? I think he's a great player. What are we going to do? Are we going to ship Tanyan out? He led the, t- the league in touchdown catches for tight ends last year. So, I mean, what are we going to do? Ship him out? We're going to bring in another guy to lead the league in touchdown catches again? I don't get it. I don't I don't get what the argument is here. You know, he, Rodgers showing that he likes a guy. He's got a good rapport with him. Then they bring back uh, Mercedes Lewis, another one of Rogers' guy. He, when you when you hear him in press conferences, he's always talking about big dog. You know, we got big dog uh, Mercedes Lewis, and then also Sternberger, a little bit of a flop. But I mean, you can't say they're not taking swings on dudes. He's a third round pick. Same with Aguara. I mean, he's more of an H back kind of flex type of guy that they move in on a fullback and tight end. But another another thing, another third round investment in guys. They're taking swings. You know, first, second, third rounds are guy that guys that you expect to be starters at some point in their career. So they're they're showing that they're willing to take chances to get Rodgers guys around them. And then the last uh, position group I wanted to take a look at here on the offensive side is going to be Bakhtiari. Excuse me, not Bakhtiari, the offensive line. So you got Bakhtiari, all pro, answers every question that you might have. Second on the list, Elton Jenkins, another guy, pro bowler. I would expect him to be all pro. I thought he was going to be all pro last year. High level dude, can play any guard spot, center, they even played him at tackle. I mean, this is a dude that just plays all over the place. And then behind him, it's a, it's a little rocky. But, I mean, you got Lucas Patrick and uh, John Runyon, a couple of capable uh, guys that they're expecting to be playing some quality snaps, along with Billy Turner, showing that he's got some versatility between guard and tackle. They, they, I mean, they paid him a decent contract. You're paying him $8, $9, 10000000 million to come out here and play quality snaps for the Green Bay Packers. And then, you know, the argument, oh, they, they don't support around them. I mean, they've taken guys high before, too. You look at Lindsley. He's a he's an all-pro guy. I mean, we got, excuse me, Brian Balaga, another guy they took high. I mean, Jason Spriggs, another high-round draft pick. Just because you're striking out on guys doesn't mean you're not taking the swings on them. 
So it, it's not like they're not trying to help him out here. I, I don't get the, the argument that they're not building around this guy. Second is when we take a look at their defense, in 2020, they were 13th in scoring and 9th in yards allowed. And in 2019, they were 9th in scoring and 18th in yards allowed. So basically, you're almost like flipping those two numbers. So, I mean, they haven't been terrible. It's just been in the key situations, they haven't, you know, stepped up to the plate. Like, you know, last year against Tampa Bay, everybody everybody remembers the Kevin King play. The dude just doesn't even get hands on the guy. He just lets him run right past. Like, that's not an indictment on the defense as a whole. And obviously, they're taking swings at, at the defense as well, too. They're trying to build so that when Rodgers puts up 30 points, they win those football games. So I just wanted to go through, too, uh, the last few drafts that they had. When we take a look at some of the high-round picks they've had. In 2020, I'm not going to use 2021 uh, data with the draft just because, obviously, all this stuff came out before you know they even made their selections. So we take a look at it, obviously, the Jordan Love pick. But then the next two picks, I mean, those are offensive skill players. you got A.J. Dillon, who's going to be a big-time contributor this year, in my opinion. And you got Josiah DeGuara. You know, questionable pick that we're picking H back that high. But like I said, it's an offensive skill player they're trying to build around. And then what do they do later in the draft? They get a ton of offensive line depth with Runyon and Jake Hansen and Simon Stepaniak. All guys that were real depth pieces, whether practice squad or guys that are going to contribute this year, like John Runyon. You know, it, they're they're building. They're adding to the offense. It's not like they're neglecting it. You go back to 2000 and, excuse me, 2019 now we're looking at guys you know they take Rashawn Geary Darnell Savage in the first round okay they're building the defense they're taking swings both guys that are going to be big time contributors on defense but then we look at the next two picks they're building the offense out you get a stud and Elton Jenkins in the second round that year and then Jay Sternberger in the third like I said quality picks 50% are offense 50% defense and guess what their contributors are offense 2018 we look back now, this one's a little bit more lopsided toward the defense. Uh, you get Jair Alexander, you know, no argument there. Josh Jackson, eh, questions there. And Oren Burks, and then fourth round, Jamon Moore. Jamon Moore, complete snub, definitely understandable, in and out. You know, those are the, the first four round picks, swinging he- more heavily to the defense. But in 19 and 20, I mean, it's pretty even. It's not like they're saying, you know, screw you, Aaron. You know, do this on your own. I mean, they're they're trying to build around this guy. They're trying to put a supporting cast around him as well. And when you look back even before that, I mean, oh, we don't have the first-round receiver. I mean, you got Jordy, who's in the second. You got Randall Cobb, he was in the second. Greg Jennings, he's in the second. All those guys are like a 1,000-yard receivers. I mean, they were all at the top of their game at one point. You don't need to go attack it in the first round. Like, we all know Devontae's a second-rounder. The numbers actually show it's better to pick a receiver in the second round. So why are we arguing about this first-round receiver thing? I don't think that their roster is all that bad. I think his best shot at winning is going to be staying at Green Bay. So to basically sum it up, if I mean, if he's still that upset, like you just got to make it clear that we're not trading you, and that's exactly what Goody's done. I mean, you listen to all these outlets, like you log on and you hear Daniel Jeremiah, his his first words on the situation were, if I'm GM, I'm not trading that guy. I mean, would you want to be known as the guy that traded Aaron Rodgers? I mean, the, all these guys are in the same circles together. They're all friends with each other. 
would you want to be known as the guy that traded the first, the future first ballot Hall of Famer? I know I wouldn't be. It's a bloodbath, man. Same thing with Michael Lombardi. Same thing he said. He goes, would you want to be known as the guy that okayed the trade on Aaron Rodgers? Former MVP, first ballot Hall of Famer. Top five quarterback all time. If you ask me that question, I'm positive. I know what I'm saying. I ain't trading him. Call his bluff. We're not trading you. Keep you here in Green Bay. Guess what? We'll guarantee your whole contract. Uh, Andrew Brandt actually had a really interesting take on the situation too where they said, you know, hey, we'll guarantee your full contract for 2021. And guess what? We'll give you an out after 2021. You want to leave? You can leave. Interesting situation. I don't think they'd do it. But, I mean, like I said, this is the kind of resolution that they need. They're not going to trade this guy. When you think about trade packages, I mean, first two first-round picks ain't going to help you win right now. None of that stuff's going to matter. We win right now. We call his bluff. You know, if, if he wants to go do Jeopardy and sit for a year, then let him do it. He's got to pay us back the money. We'll see what we got in Jordan Love. You know, maybe we strike out, get back after it next year. But I would not trade Aaron Rodgers. I don't think they're going to trade Aaron Rodgers. I think you listen to the people in the media that he's been closest to. I mean, A.J. Hawk and James Jones and John Kuhn, all these guys, they, it's, it's, it's reparable. Like, it's not, it's not a lost cause. There's room for belief in Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers coming back and going to a Super Bowl in two, 2021. I believe in it. I think it's the most likely situation. And I think that all the other fans need to get on board, too, and stop listening to all this smoke that's out there. So the last segment that we wanted to do here today would be the schedule release segment. Uh, just to break down a, a game each week that we're going to highlight, and we think that is going to be a great matchup, uh, a great storyline, and kind of why we think so. So starting off in week one, I actually hinted at this on Twitter as well, that... uh. The Panthers at the Jets, and I love this storyline for the fact of Sam Darnold coming back to New York, and I think he's going to throw for 300 yards and three tutties just because he's going to be absolutely insanely mad about being traded, shipped out of town in favor of a rookie quarterback, and that Jets defense is garbage. I mean, it's awful. They're going to be terrible and Sam Darnold's going to come and he's going to go scorched earth on the entire thing. I think he, like I said, 300 yards, three TDs, not out of the question. And we fast forward to week two. Right off the bat, we get a nice game. It's going to be Chiefs at Ravens. Um, Lamar, Mahomes. It's going to be a matchup everybody's pointing to for the next how many years. At, like I said, key marquee matchups. We get it second week. Third week, we're looking at Bucks at the Rams. Another great matchup. Uh, we get to see Matt Stafford really tested early in the season, week three against the defending champs. I think that'd be a really cool storyline too where, you know, how, how good is this offense really going to look against one of the best defenses in the NFL with the Buccaneers? And then week four, we're looking at Bucks versus at the Patriots. <laughs> Obviously, we all know why. Tom Brady coming back to Foxborough. And it actually, uh, there was a really cool stat that Brady's average, right, you know, about 280 yards a game, and he's about 1,200 shy of the record, passing Drew Brees for number one all time, and he's on pace to do it in Foxborough, of course. So, kind of a cool little storyline there, returning home. And week five, we're looking at the Bills at Chiefs. Uh, not much to explain here. It's a rematch of the AFC title game early in the season. I think that'd be a cool little matchup, high scoring affair. 
week six. So this is where <laughs> I'm, I'm digging a little bit, but I think it's kind of cool. So I'm going to call it the Penny Sewell Bowl, Bengals versus or at the Lions. So basically the team everybody thought was going to get Penny Sewell against the team that did get Penny Sewell. Kind of cool little storyline, uh, basically. And then we take a look at week seven, and it's another Lions game somehow making it on our radar. It's going to be Lions at the Rams, the Matt Stafford Bowl. <laughs> he might come to town this week and throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns and just show everybody in Detroit, Ford Field, that, hey, sucks to suck, guys. Like, this is what you missed out on. This is what we could have been. Then week eight, it's going to be the Bears versus the 49ers. The Justin Fields revenge tour is kind of where I was going with this. So basically, hey, you didn't pick me number three. You know, this is why. So if Matt Nagy's still around, maybe he'll be the coach. Uh, Even if Justin Fields is starting week eight, I think he should be. So just kind of why I wanted to point that one out. Then week nine, we're looking at Texans at the Dolphins. <laughs> the reason I picked this one out here is basically for the fact that they basically gave Miami their blockbuster trade. They they completely funded their entire 2021 draft with the Laramie Tunsil trade. So I thought that was just kind of a cool little point to point out as well. And then instead of getting off the rails again here in week 10, we're going to take a look and say the Ravens at the Dolphins. Like I said, another cool little matchup here. Uh, two high-powered teams or teams that I think are going to be high-powered this year with the Dolphins having an absolute haul in the offseason here against the Ravens, who have kind of been a powerhouse in the AFC, you know, playoff team the last couple of years. And then week 11, we're going to point out the marquee matchup in our eyes is the Washington football team at Carolina Panthers. So the reason I like this one is it's the, the Rivera Revenge Tour Part 2. So basically... He came back to town last year. They got stomped. Almost missed the playoffs because of it. Just barely snuck in. But he gets another shot at it here in 2021. And then week 12, we're looking at the Jets at the Texans. And the reason I'm highlighting this one is this might be one of the toilet bowl matchups. These are two teams that they are expecting to win very few games. And week 12 could be a big turning point in that situation. Week 13... It's going to be Arizona at Chicago. Uh, wasn't many games to choose from in this week, and I kind of just took the one that I thought would highlight and be a good game. This also could be a point where we're looking at if Matt Nagy is even the coach anymore, Ryan Pace, and even with the team anymore. Like I said, just a nice little highlight spot. Week 14. We're looking at Baltimore versus Cleveland. So week 14, we're kind of getting into the the down and dirty part of the season where division leaders are kind of starting to take a, a stranglehold on who's going to be leading at the end of the year. And week 14, Baltimore versus Cleveland's a big-time game for who's going to be controlling the division from there on out. Week 15, another Baltimore game here. We're going Green Bay at Baltimore. So... It's a strange matchup just because it's AFC, NFC, and it's not one that we get to see a lot. And obviously if Rodgers is in town, it should be a good game. I expect him to be. So week 15, Packers at Baltimore. And then week 16, I had to highlight this one one time because uh, I actually listened to the Lefko show the other day, and 
Giants fans are not happy with Philadelphia fans for getting hot for Devontae Smith. They wanted that guy bad. And basically, Philly was laughing in their face the whole time. So I wanted to make sure I highlighted one of the New York Giants-Philadelphia Eagles games here. So week 16, Giants at Philly. Week 17, once again, you know, they talked about these interconference matchups. And uh, I didn't I didn't really like a lot of them in the showcase game here, week 17. But the one that stood out to me would be Miami versus Tennessee. Tennessee playoff team last year uh, has Miami coming to town, who was a fringe just on the outside of the playoff picture. Many expect them to be in the picture this year. Uh, could be a pivotal game there in the playoff race. Week 17, be real interesting. So that's just a snapshot of kind of the cool storylines that we thought with the schedule release, you know, let us know your opinions, any types of matchups that you guys want to see, anything that you think stands out weeks 1 through 17, or if you think we're just absolutely nuts, just let us know as well too. Ed. That's going to be all we have for this week's episode here today. We appreciate everybody tuning in. As always, we're going to end the show here with our trivia giveaway. So once again, make sure you follow our page, DM us your trivia answer, and then retweet the pin podcast that's on our Twitter page there on our homepage. So the trivia question is still, who is the all-time passing yards leader in Clemson football history? So once again, make sure you follow our page, DM us your answer on Twitter, and then retweet the pin podcast on our page there. And who is the passing yards leader in the history of Clemson football? So hopefully you had a good time on the show here today. Uh, We had a great time bringing it to you. Hopefully you enjoyed the Aaron Rodgers take. Hopefully that kind of brings some knowledge to the situation, you know, brings some reasoning why he's going to be staying in Green Bay in our opinion. So uh, as always, if you come up with a better idea for the state, the case, or something you want to hear us talk about, make sure you share with us on Twitter uh, via reply, via DM. Uh, get in our trivia giveaway and we'll see everybody next week. Thanks for your time.